0: When you're acting as your Doodle's teacher during training, do you know their learning style? Take our exclusive fun and free quiz to find out at thedoodlepro.com slash learning and make training more fun and successful. This is one of the first topics I wanted to cover on the Doodle Pro podcast. Because of my work every day with Doodles, I am seeing the difference between Dogs who have had purposeful, positive, systemic experiences to different people, different dogs, different settings, different textures, different sounds. One of the best ways to do positive, purposeful socialization in the beginning is a class. It is really hard to identify appropriate other dogs for your puppy to play with and to be able to read yourself, does your dog feel safe? Are other dogs bullying? Is your dog being the bully? What behaviors are being practiced? And when they're in this sponge space, what is happening? What are they taking away that will last sometimes a lifetime, or you could be spending their lifetime trying to unravel and recondition them? A lot of us have gotten our doodles and have heard from a neighbor, a breeder, or even a vet, don't let them get exposed to other dogs or places until they've had all of their shots. Whoa, that's really scary. This is our new puppy and our new family member. We have literally invested so much financially and of our heart into this dog and to hear that by socializing them and bringing them around and letting them around other dogs might put their health at risk is really scary. But new guidance from the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior has been released and they believe firmly that it should be the standard of care for puppies to receive early, frequent, and positive socialization. Your dog is more at risk of euthanasia from behavior problems than contracting a deadly disease before they're vaccinated. I am sorry to be a downer. It's really, really, really important. If we're not going to the worst case scenario of how it could be deadly for your dog, let's back up and think about if you could have confident, happy, flexible dog versus a dog that is scared, timid, hiding behind your leg and possibly biting out of fear, which would you pick? When you bring home your new puppy, it is such a rich opportunity for them to get positive first interactions. This interview with our two guests from from Denver's Paw School Training Program had so much rich guidance to share with us for doodle parents all over the world that I couldn't just put it in one episode. Their interview is going to be divided in two. The first episode today is going to discuss how do you identify a quality program facility trainer for you to work with your doodle? And what are the red flags that should tell you, step away, find another. We're going to discuss why they take certain approaches with puppy socialization and what are the key ways that they keep your puppy safe so that you can feel at ease with your doodle's health and well-being while they're still getting vaccinated why playing for 50 minutes straight can actually be unhealthy for your puppy? We'll discuss these and much more in today's episode. Then in part two, we're going to address dogs of all ages. What sort of training do they continue needing? Why adolescents can be so difficult? And why do people say after they've really nailed some behaviors with their dog that it seems like they just suddenly forgot everything and what you should do about it? We're going to address dogs of all ages in episode two. Doodle breed dogs are easy to love, but can be challenging to parent. I'm doodle expert Corinne Gearhart, also known as the Doodle Pro, and I'm here to help doodle parents have a more fulfilling and rewarding experience with their doodles. No one has professionally worked with as many different doodle breeds or has more experience with doodles than I have. And I love to share my expertise in a fun, compassionate, and non-judgmental way. From my years of work and education in the pet care and dog training industry, I have an incredible network of skilled training, grooming, and veterinary professionals to share their knowledge with you and give you the doodle-specific answers you're looking for. I hope you enjoy today's episode as I help you parent your doodle like a pro. here in episode one, you're going to hear what you need to look for in a facility for your puppy, adolescent or adult doodle when you're trying to do training and discuss in more detail puppy socialization classes and training classes. And then in part two, we're going to dive deeper into those adolescent and adult dog needs. This is going to be a great episode that can help parents of doodles of all ages. Let's get started. I am thrilled to welcome today, Kathy, the owner of Denver's Paw School training facility and their training manager, Colleen. We are going to be discussing how you find the right training facility program or trainer for your doodle. There are a lot of people that just refer to who their neighbor said they went to, or they see a happy adult dog and ask, what did you do? But there are better ways to find if this is a good fit. For your puppy or your adult dog. I love Denver Paw School. It's where I send my clients and family members to take their dogs and where I've taken my own puppy Nestle. Even though I'm a trainer, it's really important that my dog got to know dogs of all sizes, shapes, styles, and not just doodles that I get to work with every day. If he sees a boxer on a walk, he's got to feel good about it. And I used Denver Paw School to do it and saw firsthand a quality program. So I wanted to bring them to you. So no matter where in the world you are, we could discuss how you too can identify a quality program and what the red flags are to run. I'm so excited for people outside of Denver to be able to find a facility
1: like them as well. Kathy, can you tell us a little bit about Denver Paw School? We opened in 2012. Our Business focuses entirely on dog training and our facility is very open and welcoming. It's more of a retail setting than a warehouse type setting. But our specialties, I like to think of them as three silos of specialties. We have puppy focused classes. We have obedience focused classes. Obviously there's some overlap. And then we also do agility. And the agility that we offer is what I would term as recreational. So it's really for your average dog. It is not competitive. But really, what we're offering is the training that an average dog owner would need for every
2: stage of your life with your dog. Colleen, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. I joined Denver Paws School, I believe, in 2015. Prior to that, I had done some educational materials, video materials, particularly, with horses instead of dogs, but it's always been around dogs as well. Actually, my current dog, who I rescued from Pagosa Springs, needed just a little bit more than I would say your typical family dog. So I got into training and thankfully got into some great online education with Karen Friar Academy came to the school myself as a student and then saw a job opportunity, started working, got into a training role and just have kind of continued to go and really love working with people and their dogs and trying to help wherever I can. Wonderful.
0: For people all over the world, we have listeners in Australia and Belgium and Canada that are not able to access your facility here in Denver. If someone, say, has a new puppy and they know that they should be doing a puppy school But don't know really what that means. They might have seen a flyer in their version of PetSmart or Petco or something. What advice would you give to those new pet parents
2: on how to identify a good program? I think working with somebody that's very open and welcoming is really important. Those first initial interactions are going to set the tone for your training relationship with them, and you may be with them for several years, depending on what your goals are. I also try to always look for individuals that are very transparent with what's going to happen in the class and what they're going to do in terms of if your puppy is doing something right, what's going to be the consequence? How are we going to tell them that they're doing a good job? And then almost equally as important or sometimes even more important, what are we going to do if the puppy's not understanding what we're wanting? Are we going to rearrange the environment? break it down a little bit more for them? How are we going to make it so they can be successful? And so I really like to be clear and have clients be looking for somebody who's clear and open with those answers and giving you a response that you can actually understand as well. If it seems a little bit like I don't exactly know what's going to happen, then I would keep on asking questions until you get a straightforward answer because it shouldn't be smoke and mirrors or confusing, it should be pretty transparent what's going to happen in the class.
1: So if I can piggyback on that, if you think of somebody considering training for their dog, first and foremost, probably search the internet. Like you said, talk to their neighbor or friends that have dogs that have gone through classes. Certainly we're all going to look at reviews online. That's all important to do. In uh-huh. to look at a facility's website and glean what their technique is. But to Colleen's point, and just to add on that, it is important to have a conversation because you want to get a little bit into the weeds to understand what their true technique is. Mm-hmm. Um, not only how do we train behaviors, but what do we do with the naughty things, right? How are we yeah. going to fix things that we don't like right now? And if you ask those types of questions, you should, to Colleen's point, get a direct answer to- mm-hmm. Little wishy washy, ask more questions just to make sure that you're comfortable with the technique that's being used. I agree completely, Kathy.
0: And when we're talking about finding a skilled science based trainer or program, one of the reasons we're doing so is because that's where modern science lies. So if you were to look at the latest guidance from the veterinarian associations, they have said very clearly that positive reinforcement and science-based practices are the recommendations for all kinds of dogs, that there's not a breed that, quote, needs a heavier hand. So Kathy and Colleen, you brought a great point that is how I try to find a red flag with a program is by asking, what do you do when the dog doesn't do as we ask? And if you're not getting a straight answer, That really gives what the method is of we're going to change their criteria. We're going to see what are they struggling with, et cetera. Maybe split it and break it down versus it depends. I don't start with a prong, but if I need to go to a prong. (laughs) So if a trainer says I start positive and then we move into using other tools as needed, ask what are those tools? And then you need to do a check with yourself as to does that match the sort of pet parenting philosophy that I think is best with my doodle.
1: And I think just to, again, add on to all of that, if we're talking about positive reinforcement and that type of methodology where we are teaching and rewarding the behaviors we want repeated, you do have to ask the questions because there are buzzwords in dog training the same way there are buzzwords in any other industry. So if you've done the research and you've decided, I really want this to be a positive experience for my dog and for me as we go through this training process, just hearing the word positive reinforcement is not enough because you will find trainers that are using what I categorize as old school techniques. They still use the word positive and they will deliver a treat. <laughs> yeah. you have to dig a little deeper. Just as an anecdote, I had an old friend reach out to me. They got a new puppy. They were sending it off to a board and train, which we don't do, but she wanted my advice, And she was like, I feel comfortable. She seems so sweet. Looks like she uses positive reinforcement. And I looked at her website and within about two minutes, I realized she used shock collar training. I don't want to bring anybody else down because anybody in dog training, I promise, regardless of technique, loves dogs, and cares for what they're doing. Yeah. So I don't want to poo somebody. I just feel like we might want to make better choices in how we're going to hand off our puppy for a couple weeks. We want to know exactly what's going to happen. And we're completely on the same
0: page. We have listeners who come from all backgrounds who have used all different sorts of methods. And one thing I loved about your program was There was never judging or shaming when somebody came in. It was, let me show you this other way. It's nice to be able to go to a program where you don't have to fix what damage could have been done. If you feel like you are going to a training class and your gut says, oh, this doesn't feel right, or like they're saying that my emotion is why my dog is doing this, or that I'm not being a strong enough leader or something, and this just doesn't feel right. My dog seems scared to go in. I know you made an investment, but you don't have to walk in that door ever again or other options. Very true.
2: Yep. yep. And that that feeling that you are referencing, I think is really valid. I would say with most people that I've met with, whether it's just like an introductory consultation or in a class or a private session, they often will talk about different methods. They said that I could do this, but it just never sat well with me, but I right. thought it was okay. So trusting that person who is in that position of authority and really Knowing what their background is and where their ethics and what they're going to bring to the table and where their knowledge base is super important. But that feeling has come up time and again, and I would definitely say trust that that response totally. And
0: some people worry I'm not being a good dog owner, or good dog parent if I don't do the hard things, mm-hmm. and. I can say from my experience as a trainer and working with Doodles that using positive reinforcement and science-based methods isn't being permissive. You're not allowing or just turning the other way when there's behaviors that you don't find acceptable in your home or with your dog. It's just showing them what you want them to do instead of punishing only what you want them to stop. Yes.
1: It takes a little bit more work. We are thoughtful of what the cause is or what the trigger is for behaviors and we have to Mm -hmm. through that and it does take some planning preparation and repetition right often depending on who i'm speaking with i will say we do not raise children the same way we did 50 years ago we absolutely do not follow the same old school child rearing because we've grown so much as a culture. And the same holds true for dog training. Another key word is you are an advocate for your family member here. Yeah. Um, so yes, going way back to that gut feeling, that's really a important part of the puzzle. Yes, you are who knows your
0: puppy and dog the most and who has the strongest connection with them. So I do trust your gut and your connection with them. I want to talk with you about puppies in particular. So a lot of doodles are brought home as puppies. Some are rescued, but not as much. So people are starting with their eight-ish week old puppy. They are also spending two to $4,000 on this puppy. It is a true investment, both financially and of their heart with this new member of their family. And a lot of times breeders are telling them, do not expose them to other dogs or bring them elsewhere outside of your home or your own backyard until they're 16 weeks old. I know the vet organizations have said that behavior problems are more dangerous to a dog than the risk of parvo or whatever issues that someone's thinking of. But when you have someone come to you and say, I know I need to socialize my dog And this early window is the most crucial time to start. And I'm scared that they don't have their full set of vaccinations at 16 weeks. How do I negotiate this conflict? Sit and stay right there. We'll be back right after this quick break. Dogs' body language is a foreign language to us humans. Are you wondering how fluent you are? Take our free quiz at thedoodlepro.com/body and find out how fluent you are in reading dogs' body language.
1: Yes, you have to balance the safety of your puppy with the development of their personality and their ability to take on what they will be exposed to throughout their entire life. And as you mentioned the veterinarian Behavioral Society has said it is more important to get your dog some of that baseline exposure, even while they're still going through their vaccine protocol. Now, that doesn't mean it's a free for all, right? right? Nobody <laughs> worth their weight <wait, laughs> is going to recommend taking your little itty bitty puppy to a, a dog park, right? Or even just a, a big, well traveled park, right? You want to mm-hmm. be where they put their paws. Now, when you're thinking about a socialization class, you have to think about what that facility looks like, what kinds of safety protocols they have in place Yes, before you take your dog there, right? If you've decided it's worth exposing your puppy to other dogs and other people in the world, you have to find a facility that takes those safety precautions. And that means cleaning and making sure that they use the proper types of cleaning agents, similar to a veterinarian where you're walking, where a lot of other dogs are going. So you just ask those questions when we're talking about the standards. The
0: things I looked for and was impressed with you guys are the rigorous requirements of submitting the vaccination records. And if I forgot to send in my next one, I couldn't come to the (laughs) next class until I had sent in that shot record, which made me feel at ease knowing that the other dogs were doing the same. And then we were all on schedule. And all of the puppy socialization classes were the first in the day. So I knew that the sterilization and the sanitation had been done and we weren't following another pack of older dogs that had other things going on. Uh, So those were things that I identified. Kathy, is there another way if somebody doesn't know what the formula of the cleaning is, is there another way that if somebody's evaluating a program or facility that they could identify? So you want to
1: look at the facility itself. Does it look like a clean place? Does it look like it's regularly clean in general, puppy or not? And then you want to ask the question before the puppies come in for their specific class, is it cleaned again? So you had mentioned the classes you attended were first thing in the morning and we do schedule it that way on purpose, yeah. but we also have midday puppy classes. And what that means is we stop teaching for an hour ahead of time and we clean again. Yeah. And then the third thing is what are the vaccination requirements for older dogs and all of our dogs coming in, regardless of age, Once they're past that puppy period, they have to be vaccinated. Now, we do the extra step of cleaning because you don't know what's getting tracked in, but at the same time, you know that the dogs that are coming to the facility, regardless of age, have been vaccinated. Yes. And
0: that's different than going to Home Depot or Petco or the neighborhood park. It really is the next level of care.
2: Colleen, can we
0: talk about the training benefits of starting really early with your new puppy?
2: Yeah, it's mainly where they're mentally at. They are definitely in that sponge period. So they're very, I guess, open to new experiences. And we're obviously trying to capitalize on positive experiences. And they're really developing reference points in terms of social context. Like, what do people outside my family mean? Is that a safe situation? And for an unsafe situation, they're also developing reference points for. Other animals, whether that be a dog or a cat, or if you have chickens on your property, depending on where you're at in Colorado. And how do they, and in that socialization window, you're trying to create the expectation that those things are safe situations or situations that they should be neutral to or enjoy being around. And then outside of that, you have to look at how much of the human world is pretty novel and not necessarily like dog-friendly. Yeah, we have dog-friendly stores and stuff like that, but in terms of what a dog is, all the sounds and the smells and the sensory overload can be quite a bit. So using that sponge period when they're primed to take all that information in and figure out how it relates to them is really important because this is an animal that you're going to be spending 10, 15, maybe even more years with, and you want to set them up for being really successful in any human environment that you would take them to, which I think that also puts a heavier weight on socialization because now we're taking our dogs more and more places. Yeah. And so even 20, 30 years ago, they were really just in the backyard or in the neighborhood or maybe got to ride in the car to take the kids to school. But now your dog is almost a fixture every everywhere yeah. you're going and traveling and So that kind of notches up the expectation of them being able to handle just all the variety again and so many environments that they just don't have any reference points like from their own darkness. So we have to add that extra time to really give them a solid foundation of being calm and okay and happy in that variety. And that socialization window is just Your best opportunity to do it. If you put in work in that window, then you're going to get huge payoffs. Whereas if you don't do anything in that, then you're going to be taking more time to create that behavioral soundness if you're trying to accomplish that as an adult. And sometimes I also think of it as a spectrum. They come to you with a certain breadth of sociability and reactivity or neutrality, and your socialization window is just trying to, and hopefully your socialization efforts are just trying to Mm -hmm. get that. To the ultimate potential. Uh, yes. And that's always going to be the easiest time space to do it in. And genetics do matter. You're
0: talking about how they're coming to you. There are breeds and breed mixes that go into doodles that are more suspicious, more discerning. They might have been bred to be more protective, which means that they're more wary and can run even a little bit more anxious. If their nature is already that they're suspicious.
2: You want to make as much safe as possible to them, would you say? Absolutely. And I want to make a note that if we potentially have those tendencies from what you know about the breed, it's not that you always need to do more. It's that you need to say, okay, this is a potential like starting point. And if I need him to be here, then I have to put in that amount of work but the quality exposures are definitely going to be more important than just getting the volume of exposures yeah so knowing enough about body language wise when your puppy is comfortable or when they're feeling anxious or when they're feeling overwhelmed is super important as you're taking them into those situations because you can meet a hundred people but your dog may be hiding behind your legs the entire time and that's probably not going to socialize them to the thing that you actually want that may actually set a precedent that people are scary and don't respect any type of boundaries. And I need to now step up and speak up because my human didn't handle the situation. So knowing your puppy and knowing what they're coming to you with is key. And also knowing that it's not just about turning on the fire hose and more is not better in this scenario. I think that's brilliant. Something that you can identify in a good program
0: that I remember seeing you guys do is by creating the space and adding partitions and not just, as you said, throwing on the fire hose or just throwing them in the deep end and saying, go play. Uh, They'll figure it out. So when you hear of somebody being told, let them figure it out.
2: What are your thoughts on that? Especially if you're trying to take that small window where they're so susceptible to good and bad. Not like, oh, I'm only absorbing the positive experiences and all the negative ones are going to go away. I just get a little bit like, I, I hope that goes well for you. But we do have a shorter window. So being super mindful about what's happening is paramount. And not that any single bad experience is going to completely set them up to have a horrible life with you. You're just trying to be as cognizant as you possibly can and not, and always stack the deck in your favor. So, just letting them work it out is not stacking the deck in your favor and could yield a roll of the dice in terms of what you get socialization wise. Yeah. In that phrase, let them figure
1: it out. I would throw that in the category of a little bit of old school. And remember how I was saying the methodologies that we use nowadays do take more work and you have to think about what you ultimately want to accomplish. So if you're seeing a situation where the responses let them work it out, chances are it's probably not a good situation. Mm -hmm. The idea is let's take a break. (laughs) Let's assess what's happening here and let's come up with a different plan of attack to tackle or overcome this burden. leaving a little munchkin with an older dog that's so irritated. Yes. They're not going to teach the little munchkin like the rules of the road. Let's do right by both of them and come at this from a different angle.
0: And Kathy, that's an excellent point that you raise of doing right by both of them. So when people introduce a new puppy into their family and they have an older dog, Or they've got a good friend that has an adult dog and they're like, oh, great. That'll check my box on socialization. Let's go over and have them play together. The play styles and the tolerance between a puppy and an older dog. Would one of you mind kind of sharing more to our
2: listeners about that? Which your adult dog, it it definitely depends on where they're at. So I would say probably like a two to five year old is most likely still going to be fairly playful and happy. Uh Hang out with your puppy within reason for actually both dogs who don't want them playing just all the time because then you can set almost like too much of a hyper arousal standard where they can't even calm down or be just hanging out next to each other. You always want to give that older dog space to leave because those puppies teeth are extremely sharp, as anybody who has a puppy and tries to play with their own puppy knows. Yes. But the older dogs, like who I would label more senior, I think those are I would tend to really manage the interactions between between a teenage puppy like so five months, six months, seven months, eight months and a senior dog because the teenager really struggles with social boundaries and the older senior dog may have arthritis or physical like pain issues where a jump, On the back of the teenage dog is really gonna elicit potentially an overcorrection from the senior dog just because they're more ouchy. But those senior dogs can be great in terms of giving any age puppy a dog model and a dog relationship that isn't always playtime, which is, I think, another missed part of socialization is you're trying to get them used to what the expectations would be in real life. And even as a child. Yeah, you have your playgrounds and your recess time and your forts and your physical exercise, but there's a lot of time where you're sitting with the adult at the adult table and you're not playing on your phone or your Game Boy or whatever electronic is popular right now. I don't know, yes. children. But you see us at restaurants, I yeah, can tell. I, I see you at restaurants. <laughs> and so that learning piece can be really helpful between a younger dog and And a senior dog who, again, is supported by the people in the scenario and managed appropriately so there's not like too much physical stuff. Now, if your senior dog's feeling great and, you know, wants to romp around for a little bit, awesome, but they're probably going to fizzle out a lot sooner than your puppy would. And we need to help meet the needs of both of them in that scenario.
0: And I strongly agree that you're advocating for not only the puppy's needs, but the adult dogs. Um. And so, for a while, that could mean that they're not playing together at all. If that is not what is welcomed by your adult dog, Mm -hmm. they didn't ask for this puppy and it is not their responsibility to constantly be correcting them and putting them in their place. Kathy, did you want to add to
1: that? Yeah, I wanted to bring the whole topic back around to classes or training for socialization and that whole idea of let the dogs work it out, even Mm -hmm. puppy to puppy. When you're looking for a good socialization program, you want to make sure that those play groups are monitored heavily. So that doesn't mean a swarm of trainers coming in to handle all the puppies. It just means that we're talking about play styles, what's good, what's bad, when we're going to take a break, when we're going to go back at it. And then talking about some of those puppies that are a little bit more timid at this vip section where again instead of taking your puppy and plopping them in the deep end right they can have this safe place where they can be exposed and learn that they're safe and watch what's going on see the mm-hmm. world and what we see is over the weeks those puppies grow start to venture off into the group yes or they have a free space a safe space in the back. You no, know, just saying, let the puppies work it out is just a little bit. That would probably be a good question. Yep. When previewing a social yes. class, and if you hear a phrase like that, probably not the right group for you.
0: If there's a big brown dog that has pinned your puppy, and that's their first experience with big brown dogs. That can be a lifetime generalization from there on if it's been a big experience. So just like Colleen says, they're not just a sponge soaking up those positive, wonderful, happy moments and letting the harder times roll off their back. I loved watching your skilled trainers really watch carefully the body language. And they had like x pens set up and there would be different zones for the higher energy, more rambunctious kind of really matching the play as opposed to putting like the JV kids on the varsity team. And one of them being really overwhelmed and never wanting to play that sport again. And then giving those VIP sections of on the other side of the X-Pen where the puppy that is more tentative is rewarded for just looking at it is rewarded for showing interest, but also it's just fine if they want to retreat And get their space and just watch and feel safe. And I loved that. You guys also kept arousal at a good level. So if it's an hour class
2: and the dogs are playing an hour straight. Yeah, that's sometimes a request, but just not going to pan out very well just because they're going to. Usually that body language that we see, the social skills start to get like coarser and coarser. The longer they go without any breaks. And again, depending on where they're at, the older play group, the Kinder Pup 2, which is four months to seven months, they don't know how to regulate themselves. They don't know that this is becoming too much. They're just having fun on all those adrenaline and feel-good chemicals coursing through their body. So Yeah, segmenting quite often. And that also teaches that when you interrupt them in the middle of something fun, they're going to get something good and then they're going to go right back to play. So you showing up is not the end of all type of fun, which can be super helpful and actually maintaining like a safety recall and stuff like that. Yes. But, and then once you finally do need to take the break, let them simmer down. We often try to pull out snuffle mats or do food scatters or things that actually like help them regulate and soothe themselves and calm down so that can be another like functional thing that you can use at home but 50 minutes of just straight out play is going to turn into more of the mosh pit (laughs) potential style (laughs) and, and not like the social repertoire that you would want to be brought into the next social situation and the next social situation so we're doing that as a way to also maintain like better social skills and not just be like 100 miles an hour the whole time.
1: And if I may, a little bit of a segue there. Yeah, Uh, your listeners are all over. And when you're interviewing or researching different socialization programs, it is more than just play. Um, So we've talked about this, right? exposing our puppies to the world in general but the way our program works it'll never be just 50 minutes of play not only to manage that arousal but because there's so much more to talk about we have been in business for 11 years and i would say that colleen has taken our program and blown it up into this super
2: awesome i agree so maybe colleen (laughs) that's just because of everybody the amount of people (laughs) that have good information out there. Now, I wouldn't, the IAABC and Pet Professional Guild and KPA and ADPT and all the acronyms that I can (laughs) blunder through have such good information (laughs) and so many trainers sharing things.
1: I would say maybe for your listeners, it would be good for Colleen to talk about some of those other types of socializing that we expose our clients to in that socializing class right yeah so it's not just play but there are different pieces of content that we want to teach our dog owners about so that they can go off and continue the process with their dogs in a knowledgeable way
2: yeah we have segments that focus on trying to build confidence around sounds all year rounds whether they're a couple of months away from the 4th of July or thunderstorms or not, we know that's going to be a situation or a event that they need to be used to. And sound sensitivity can be very challenging to live with. So whenever you can stack the duck in your favor again and buffer against any of those sensitivities, that's super important. We also focus on things like textures, things like body coordination, being able to go up to an obstacle or a little disc or a little wobble board that, you know, is going to move is going to be a little scary, but generally is something that they can be like, oh, I can handle this. And so even just that mentality of, I don't know what this is, but my humans here are supporting me, giving me encouraging praise and, oh, I get a yummy cookie after I check it out. Yeah. And they're not forcing me to do anything that can really foster the mindset that you want and potentially the Optimism or outlook yes. of a dog that yes. can handle all of that novelty. We, of course, have a section on people where they get to meet every single person. We are spend quite a bit of time on handling since vet and grooming, <laughs> especially with our doodles. Yes, <laughs> I've actually had to spend a good bit of time learning all the needs and grooming frequency that doodles need, and I'm trying to grab whenever I see a doodle parent like this is probably going to be what they need. Yes. Cause it's a lot. And that's doodle grooming requirements aside, the veterinary care is every single dog all the time for their entire life. So there's no need for those routine visits to be a challenge for them or a fear-inducing event for them. So how can we help them feel comfortable with restraint and the weird equipment and the little poaks they- of the little body areas that we press? So try to give it Like Kathy said, more than just playing with other dogs Mm is going to be a piece, but giving them that setup for what their life is going to look like is what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, you don't want their first exposure to some
0: of that handling to be when they're sick or in pain at a vet or in the chaotic environment of a grooming salon where there's dryers and other dogs and... I love how you guys are really intentional about that. I know that you guys divide your socialization and your puppy classes by particular ages. Can you share with our listeners what your strategy is in
1: doing so? The way we have organized our program is by what we call levels. And for socialization in particular, we have two different levels and they are split based on age ranges. And that is because a eight to 16 week puppy is very different than a puppy from four to seven months. And those are our age ranges for our classes. So with our itty bitty guys, we were just talking about dogs that maybe are a little more on the timid side of the scale. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't want a steamroller five-month-old lab coming in and absolutely overpowering this little itty bitty guy. And yeah, we want to manage those experiences again so that we have as much positive and supporting experiences as possible. So we split them based on age because they are developing differently. Now, Kinder pop, which is what we call our socialization class, for that four to seven month period when we're getting we're getting into that adolescent range and We still want to give them opportunities to learn how to interact in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not that, you know, the sponge period closes and, well, that's it. That's That's not it. it, We want to continue that process either through that 8 to 16 weeks and beyond. Or if we're just meeting a client and they have a five-month-old puppy, by all means, once we've met that puppy and we understand what their temperament is, we can get them into that socialization opportunity and give them some exposure. Again, the window isn't closed, right? Yes. But we want to continue in the same format that we've already discussed here.
2: If
0: you're in the Denver metro area, I cannot recommend Paul School highly enough. If they were to want to find you, Kathy, where could people in the Denver metro area reach out or follow you?
1: Our website is denverpawschool.com. And our location that we've been in since 2012 is fairly central Denver. It's off of I-25 and Broadway. But we are going to also be opening a second location on the South Metro side of town near you uh, in Greenwood Village. That It will be opening my first, second week of November 2022. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for joining me on this episode of The Doodle Pro Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And I invite you to follow me on Instagram at The Doodle Pro for behind the scenes peeks at all of the adorable doodles I work with daily.